It's Wednesday, February 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I'm joined in studio by Jason Moser from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Supernova. Guys, welcome. Hey, hey Mac. How you doing? Are you ready? Ready, ready to go. Okay, well, we're going to talk restaurant stocks, and then we're going to talk Dish Network, cord cutting, Battle of the Living Room. But let's begin with these restaurant stocks. Jason, lots of earnings to talk about. Shares of Papa John's and Texas Roadhouse both down on earnings. Red Robin up on earnings. Let's start with pizza and Papa John's. Yeah, I mean, why you would think investing in pizza would just make sense, right? I mean, it's pizza and and everybody loves pizza pretty much at least. Uh, I do. generally speaking, you would be right. I mean, if you look at the stock chart for Papa John's over the last 5 years, the the performance of the stock has been phenomenal, up 350% um and and really, I think I attribute that basically all all to just Keeping it simple. I mean, they're they're selling food, right? Not rocket science. They're just making pizzas and selling them to people all over all over the world, really. And and I think that not only have they really been able to exploit a simple idea, uh, it's an effective model with the franchise model, and that they're able to really grow quickly. They can build the brand virtually anywhere, um, and and then they had the foresight to really build out a mobile presence in in the very beginning stages of when mobile was just really. Catching on. In fact, really before it had even really caught on, Papa John's was one of the first out there in the restaurant business to to attack that front and give you a pretty seamless experience in ordering something straight from your phone. Okay, that all sounds great. You've wet my appetite, but shares are down. Sure. So, so, so their growth is slowing a bit, right? Well, perhaps. I mean, this is an expectations thing, right, Mac? I mean, it's just you give a little, you take a little. Um, again, we we don't invest based on quarterly uh, misses and hits, but I think generally speaking, when you look at Papa John's and you look at the opportunity that still exists today, while shares have performed very well over the past five years, I think there's actually still plenty of room uh, for them to run. When you when you actually look at it, you compare them to one of their competitors in the space, Domino's. Um, I mean, I. Think I think most pizza aficionados out there would think Domino's, Papa John's, probably not the best pizza out there. And no, it's not. It's consistent and it's good. It's okay. It's like you know what you're getting when you order from there. Uh, but but let's look at Domino's for a second. Look how big Domino's is today. More than 13,000 stores. Over 8,000 of those are international locations. Now with Papa John's, they have just over 5,000 stores now. But only. Of, of of those little of that little bit more than five thousand, only sixteen hundred and fifty of those are actual international locations. So I think there's still plenty of room for this business to grow internationally speaking, and I think that's the real opportunity there. And I just go back to when we were living overseas through those through those years, and you're looking for something like pizza, maybe that uh, would give you a little bit of a taste of home, so to speak. When we were in Egypt, I mean, we ordered Domino's, and it was very consistent over there. It was what. It was like the dominoes that we would get here. So I think that with with brands like these, they have this opportunity to continue spreading uh, their wings overseas, so so to speak, internationally. And uh, and with Papa John's, I imagine that's what we'll see them continue doing. A, a good founder leader there, and, and I, it doesn't sound like they have any intentions of slowing down anytime soon. And David, let's talk Texas Roadhouse, um, the Steakhouse, and Red Robin, which is in the gourmet burger business. What do you what do you see there? Well, both of those are casual diners, which have had a really tough few years. One study I just saw showed that casual dining traffic has fallen nearly every month since 2012. So, we're going on five years of pretty rough times for casual diners. Texas Roadhouse has been and continues to be really the exception to that. The company has 
done a slow but steady expansion, opening new stores. Same store sales continue to tick up, uh, even with those headwinds that casual diners and restaurants as a whole uh, have been reporting. So, Texas Roadhouse, the the, the results really did slow down uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter. I think that's part of what you know Wall Street's negative reaction today, with the stock down 13% plus uh, this morning. But given given that the casual dining segment as a whole is is facing results, you you have to uh, have have that context in mind. So October and November were pretty good months for Texas Roadhouse, but December sale uh, same store sales actually dropped, and uh, for casual diners as a whole, um, casual dining traffic was down almost five percent in December. Part of that might be due to to weather. Part of it's due to Christmas falling on a weekend rather than a weekday. So just people staying home more. So you have a lot of different factors there, but I mean, Texas Roadhouse still continues to be one of the best operators in the casual dining space. And similar to, to Papa John's, you know, they'll they'll continue to open stores at a pretty steady clip. They have a couple other concepts under their wings: Bubba, thir, Bubba's Thirty Three and Jaggers. That they're love that name. Developing, yeah, it, it may, the, the names are a good start at least. So they're opening some more Bubba's restaurants. Really, I mean, business as usual. All, all restaurants right now are also dealing with rising minimum wages uh, in a lot of states in the U.S. So you are seeing some headwinds there. But if you can find a quality operator uh, like Texas Roadhouse, then then I think those ones are, are the ones to, to really pay attention to. So let's talk about that. Um, Papa John's, Texas Roadhouse are both motley full wrecks. Red Robin is not. When you look at the restaurant industry, that can be a very tricky business to invest in. What's one thing you look at in terms of restaurants um, as an investor? What's one thing we should be looking at going forward with all these different restaurants? I think it it, it's, it matters for, for all companies, but I think leadership is really key with, with restaurants. I mean, uh, with, with Texas Roadhouse, with Papa John's, with Domino's, you have either Longtime founders who have a proven track record of success, they can kind of see where where the the puck is going to be, uh, or or you have someone like Patrick Doyle who came into to Domino's uh, in 2009 2010 and really just turned the whole ship around. So I think I think leadership is really key, and then then you want to look at uh, other metrics like uh, operating margins for the restaurants, see if if those are improving, the the investment you get from those restaurants, those new locations you're opening, same store sales, the ability to Get traffic into your locations without having to really give up on pricing. Yeah, I think you just keyed in on something there. I love the the leadership perspective there because I mean we've seen so many times and so many different segments where leadership just uh, bungles a great idea. But I, I going one step even further with that, I think I I like focusing on sort of the simplicity of the experience. I think there's a lot to be said for sort of marrying not only the value that people are looking for, but but also just the ease of the experience. So that if I'm gonna go get something to eat, I don't have to like commit some big block of time to do it. I think we're seeing a lot of restaurants that traditionally have done very well through the years. I mean, look at look at Bloom and Brands, for example. I mean, they just announced that they've got a, a number of Outbacks and Bonefish grills that are gonna be closing down, and I think they're faced with sort of this predicament in that it you got to block off a pretty good amount of time now to even go to one of those restaurants. Typically, you're going to wait, then you're going to eat, and the food's not even all that great to begin with. So then, I you know I, I can understand certainly why they're facing some troubles there. You look at something like Chipotle, look at Panera, even what Buffalo Wild Wings is doing to a lesser degree and trying to offer uh, offer com- uh, consumers 
quicker ways to get in and out while still having a good experience and getting the value they expect. So I think anytime you can find something that really focuses on that simple experience while giving you a good product at a good value, and when you find that trifecta, that's where you got to really latch on. I think. Yeah, and uh, to go along with that, you you can look at culture and incentives. So obviously, Chipotle they've primarily done company-owned locations. Some companies will do more franchising or a mix of both. Texas Roadhouse, I think part of the reason they've really succeeded is their their incentive structure. So anytime they open a new location, the restaurant manager has to put up invest twenty five thousand dollars of his or her own money. They have to put their name over the door. That uh, they receive stock that vests over five years, so they're thinking long term. They receive 10% of the operating income of the store. So, when you set up incentives in that way, yeah, it, it, those incentives matter. Whether you're going to be focusing on short-term results, long-term results, I think Texas Roadhouse ha- has really cracked that code to have that kind of ownership culture with the employees, with the managers, and that's really showed with the long-term results of the company. So, have some skin in the game. Yeah, I think that that's huge with any uh, with any industry or business, but especially with restaurants. I think in the case of Chipotle, where they've also prided themselves on kind of that ownership culture, really cultivating their manager partners. I think that's that's huge with long term success for restaurants. And guys, before we talk dish, I want to talk about the Motley Fool's newest service, Total Income. You've got dividend stocks, you've got options, you've got bonds, you've got real estate, and more, and you have Ron Gross. Who we know and love, Ron, former hedge fund manager, longtime Motley Fool advisor, and you've got Robert Brokamp, financial planner. And how can you best characterize Robert? I would say force of nature. Is that fair? <laughs> I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. You know, Bro and I are going to be uh, quasi neighbors coming here very soon. Quasi neighbors. Yeah, what does well, that you mean? You know, I, I told you we, we were moving, and it sounds like Bro just moved, and actually we're moving into the same area. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like five minutes from bro. Watch out! Watch out! I'm gonna start right. getting some of that inside uh, inside scoop on what they've got going on with total income. That's great. Well, it sounds total, like the total package. It is the total package. So you, you get the dividend stocks, you get the bonds, the real estate, um, you get Ron, and you get bro, um, as we call Robert Brokamp, and you also get option strategies from Jeff Fisher. Jeff has been just wonderful and wonderfully successful at using options in a way. Um, that's simple and easy to understand. If you want to check out more, just go to totalincomeradio.fool.com. That's totalincomeradio.fool.com. And guys, for our final story, let's talk better than expected earnings from Dish Network. Jason, this is a satellite TV provider, yes. and they added pay TV subscribers in the fourth quarter. So I'm hearing all this about cord cutting. And the death of television, not so fast, huh? Not so fast, but I do think it is happening. I think it's something slowly but surely people are looking for alternatives. And so, even if you're not wanting to cut the cord immediately, uh, you're examining the situation and trying to figure out what all is out there. And as I mentioned, we're getting ready to move. I am in the very midst of doing the same thing. I mean, we've had Verizon Fios forever. You know, Mac, I don't get to watch as much TV as I'd probably like to. I'm a busy guy. Yeah. I got work, I got family, I got all sorts of stuff going on. So for me, I, I start looking at things like what Dish has with Sling and, and, and with And Hulu. what is Sling? And Sling is sort of that internet TV package. It's a skinny bundle, so to speak. And, and I, I think you keyed in on something there where they did grow subscribers for the quarter. It's worth noting that for the year, subscribers are actually down a little bit. And with Dish Network, just as with Netflix, I think with any of these businesses going forward, we have to judge them by their subscribers because that is their bread and butter. Uh, when I look at what Dish Network has going for it, perhaps 
a time ago it was a very compelling offering. I think going forward, they're going to need to figure out a way to focus that business more on sling-like offerings because you have things like Netflix, you have things like Hulu. Hulu's coming out with its own skinny bundle here very soon. And if I understand correctly, I think Dish Network is, you have to have that satellite dish installed. And if that's the case, I mean, to me, that's prohibitive in certain instances where I just don't know that. If it's if it's a matter of tying up to your cable provider versus having a satellite dish installed on your house, I think more people are going to have access to that cable provider versus having that dish up there. Yeah, I think so, you can. I think you can have Sling TV without the dish. Sling you can, but right. but yeah, with dish, I think it, for the actual package. Yeah, and yep. so that, that that just brings to question. I think what does this picture look like for these guys going forward when you look at its competitive uh, threats there? And I think there are plenty of them out there, which is why when I see something like dish. You know, I don't know that I see it as really all that compelling of an offering or an investment opportunity. Yeah, I mean, Sling TV launched two years ago, February 2015, and since that point, shares of Dish are actually down 16 percent. The S and P is up 18 percent. So, and Sling TV includes ESPN, right? So it's yep. the skinnier, kind of more streamlined offering, but it's key that you can still get ESPN as part of that. Yeah, you can still get ESPN. And I think Sling breaks it out into a few other segments. So if you want more like life and homes. Home yep. improvement stuff. You can get that package, kind of an add-on. You can get an added sports package, which might have ESPN Classic and a couple other of the ESPN properties. But yeah, it includes the Big Kahuna ESPN. And uh, at last count in September of last year, uh, Sling TV had over nine hundred thousand subscribers. But again, it just not enough to. It, it is growing, but not enough to really move the needle of the company or the stock up to this point. For some context, HBO Now, which is the the online digital version of HBO, just crossed. Two million subscribers earlier this month, so Sling TV still has a lot of room to to catch up. So when you take a step back and you look at the so-called battle for the living room, who stands out? What's a company that interests you? Maybe it's a company that's not even on people's radar right now, but who stands out as a potential winner in this space? Yeah, I, I don't know that I actually pinpoint one name. I just I think that the changing of the guard here in this space is so fascinating to watch. And I mean, a couple of examples we've been talking about here. When you look at what Twitter did over the course of the football season in streaming some NFL games, and we've seen that Facebook is trying to get some deals here to stream some MLB games. We know that Amazon is throwing its hat in the ring there in regard to live sports as well. Amazon also has all sorts of offerings that go through its Prime TV. You could you could just subscribe a la carte to different offerings there, whether it's Stars or Showtime or HBO. So I, I think that what we're seeing here is really this massive changing of the guard and the way this stuff is distributed. And and going forward, you know, it was very interesting to see the headline the other day that the gentleman in charge of Amazon's Prime video offering, uh, this is this is the guy who I think he basically developed uh, this this whole Prime video offering. He is now going to head over to BamTech um, and, and be the CEO of BamTech Technology. Now, BamTech, for those who, who listen, know uh, BamTech is the, the company that is behind all of that live streaming for sports, for Major League Baseball, I think NHL, HBO. Uh, et cetera, et cetera yep. HBO. And, and BamTech was the backbone of Twitter streaming the NFL this past season. BamTech is the company that Walt Disney just invested a cool $1 billion into to help develop their own ESPN a la carte offering as well. So, to me, like you see companies like Amazon. It's a private company, right? It is a private company, but again, worth noting, a very big interest there held by Walt Disney and BamTech. And that's not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, Bob Iger has spoken more and more of BamTech as the earnings calls have gone on. I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see possibly Disney. 
even bring Bam Tech into the fold at some point if they felt like it, it was really worth their time. But a lot of different names out there uh, today. Just an, an amazing uh, time to watch this space house changing. Yeah, Disney has the option to increase its ownership stake in Bam Tech. I think right now it's at 33%, so they can take majority control in the next year or so if they choose to do so. And I, I agree with Jason, I wouldn't be surprised if they acquire it outright in the next couple of years. And I, I really like that BAMTech positioning for, for Disney because it's really a picks and shovels play. So whether you're watching the NHL, MLB, HBO, they're all using BAMTech's digital media platform. That's a really powerful position to be in. So you're benefiting regardless of where consumers are going as they transition to digital video. And can we agree that Bam Tech is a great name? <laughs> it Bam. just makes me think of the. Uh, it, it makes me. I've, I've always gone back to the the Flintstones, right? With Bam Bam for whatever yes. reason. It should remind me of Emerald, but for whatever reason, I'm going back to the Flintstones. And I'm with you. I guess I'm, I'm dating myself here. No, 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 no. I right. have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, David, thanks for joining me. Thank thanks, Matt. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.